Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Morning, everybody. For those of you at home, welcome, welcome. Glad you're here as well. Uh, my name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Thank you for joining us here or online. I'm glad you're here. If you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, if you're a user of the Bible app, please feel free to jump on and follow along. Happy to uh, track with you with that. Now, uh, if you're using the Bible app in particular, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, this morning early, I kind of turned the, ser- the sermon over, and so we're going to do um, something different than is just the outline, but most of the notes are still there. Just want you to know uh, that's how that's going to go. It's not going to follow along uh, exactly. We have been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We put a pause on things for Advent, uh, but we're going to pick back up here in Matthew uh, chapter 5. And uh, let me just describe for you the setting so that we- everybody's on the same page here. First of all, uh, Jesus is about to unleash a uh, block of teaching um, on the world, the the likes of which the world has never seen and and has not still um, to this day. It is the most profound uh, set of teaching um, uh, and principles of instruction there uh, that the world has ever seen. And so this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Then uh, the question is, to whom does he give this? Well, the the most immediate context is actually a ragtag group of people, uh, people who have endured some pretty uh, difficult things. There was physical hardship and emotional hardship and spiritual hardship. They had relational stuff going on. And Jesus demonstrates the kingdom and sets the kingdom right right there in front of them by uh, bringing healing and bringing restoration and any number of things. This is the end of Matthew chapter four. And then he turns to that same, don't miss this, to that same group of people. And he says to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for instance, for yours is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are those who mourn. And he, and what he's doing is it, describing and, and uh, declaring the availability of the kingdom to any and all sorts of people. And in particular, the people we think that probably shouldn't get it at all, probably shouldn't deserve it. Jesus is saying, man, the kingdom is available to folks just like this. And then to those same group of people, To that ragtag group of broken people, he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So he takes broken people and he transforms them and then he sends them into the world. Is anybody grateful for this? That was slightly less than I was hoping for. Are you grateful that God takes broken people, transforms them and then sends them out into the world? Amen. Who's with me? Okay, good. So, um, So he begins to describe then this transformation. Now, here's what's going to happen. Some people think that this next section of the Sermon on the Mount is actually Jesus laying down new law for us. You've heard it said, but I say. You heard it say, but I say. I'm telling you, that's not what he's doing at all. Uh, If Jesus was um, a uh, a lawgiver in this sense uh, to you and to me, we would be under worse shape and it would be terrible news for us instead of good news. But it is good news because Jesus is not laying down new law. Instead, what he is trying to do for us is paint a picture of life that is transformed by the power of the good news that he is in charge of the world, that his kingdom is available to us. And I, um, th- there's a saying that a picture is worth, somebody help me, picture is worth a thousand words. But have you ever heard somebody paint a picture with their words? You, you get a person who is describing their trip to the Grand Canyon or the present that they got at Christmas Day or uh, this person that they just met that they're absolutely head over heels about. And what you see in them is their eyes light up 
and their voice changes, and they have all of these movements. We came around, and then we saw it. Why? Yeah, ah, they're, they're painting a picture with their words is worth far more than even that. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. He is painting a picture of a transformed life, and that is worth far more than that. So here we go, Matthew chapter 5. I actually want to start in verse 20, and then we'll read verses 21 and 22. Um, together. Here, here's where we go. This is five, uh, five verse 20 is probably the most important um, text uh, in this particular block of teaching. Here's what he says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, who were the scribes and the Pharisees? Scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and their righteousness was action-oriented and appearance-oriented. So they wanted to do the right thing and make sure that people saw them doing the right thing, or at least look like they were doing the right thing. Their righteousness was an external righteousness. And Jesus comes along and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that kind of righteousness, the kingdom will come running by you like a freight train and you won't even know that it happened. You will never enter the kingdom of the heavens. That's what he said. Um, The the true goodness uh, of Jesus, the genuine goodness of Jesus that he's going to uh, impart to us, give to us, then goes to work in our lives and it is far different than just an external take on life and religion. And he starts, we see this in verse 21. Uh, You've heard that it was said to those of old, do not murder, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Do you see what Jesus did there? He said, there is an external version of righteousness, do not murder. Can we just pause for just a second and say, is it good not to murder? I mean, that's a pretty good day when, when, uh, when murder doesn't happen. Yes, it is good not to murder. But do you think that you could go through this entire life and not murder and still be righteous? Or, excuse me, and still not be righteous? Yes, of course you can. And so Jesus is clearing away <clears throat> the external stuff, the, the surface level stuff, the superficial stuff, setting all of that to the side and say, okay, so not murdering is good, but let's deal with the thing that causes murder. And what is that? That's anger. In fact, you've never, I'm mean, out of all the harm that has been done in the world through murder, it always comes back to somebody being angry. So Jesus is clearing away and he's saying, let's go deeper than that. Let's deal um, with the source of all of this. So let's talk about um, this key thought. And uh, this is giving away the entire sermon here at the front, but this is what I want to do. To deal with anger, you do not get more passive. Just back away from it. Okay, I'm just going to bring it up. Or be more, what I put in quotes is peaceful. Cross your legs. Meditate your way out of it. Instead, you pursue righteousness. Did you see the connection? Verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. And then what is the very first move that he makes? You've heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't be angry. There's a connection, a one-to-one corollary between those who experience and and, um, take in and are consumed by the genuine goodness of God that we call righteousness. And their ability to deal with anger. So to deal with anger, you don't get more passive and you don't pursue peace in that sense. What you do is you pursue righteousness, righteousness. So the question of the day is uh, something like this, um, uh, kind of what is anger 
And then where does it come from? And then why is Jesus so dang serious about it? You'll be liable to judgment. Why is he so serious about it? That's kind of what I want to get to uh, today. So here, here's where we are. Let's start with anger. Um, it, is, it, it, it gets stronger, if you will, the more, the more it goes on. So it is not wrong in and of itself. It, um, it, it, it's much more like a dashboard light. So does anybody have this thing on their dashboard? They'll be driving along and all of a sudden the check engine light comes on. Anybody with me on that? How many of you choose to ignore it? Raise your hand. Yes, come on. Yes, yes. And you just think to yourself, it's probably not that big of a deal. And in that moment, what you've done is you've made a couple of choices. You have said, hey, listen, the source of whatever this is is not a problem to me. Uh, and, And frankly, there's not going to be consequences that follow Now, what we know, uh, both of those things are completely false. Uh, What what we know is it could be uh, a very, very minor problem. Hey, there's a fuse blown. Or it could be I'm driving on I-45 and my entire engine falls out of my car. Somewhere between those two, uh, those two extremes, um, is that little light. Now, at no point do you and I blame the light. The little light comes on, check engine, we're like, oh, I hate you, light. You don't do that. Nor do you blame the entire dashboard. If you just leave me alone, I'd be able to drive here. What we have to do is we have to get back behind that and say, hey, what's going on? And so let's just do, do this here. Um, it is not, um, anger is not wrong in and of itself. It is, a, it is a warning light to us. But it is harmful no matter what. And so here, here's a couple of pictures I just want you to see here. Put these up. Let's pretend you go home from church and this is what is waiting. I mean, I pulled these straight off of Google images. Uh, This is what is waiting for you at home. What do you think to yourself? What has happened here? What have I done? What's going on? Some people, one of two things that you will be, this is how it works. um, Some people will see this face when they walk in the door and all of a sudden their walking has gone into reverse and they're out of there. Some people come in and they see this face waiting on them and they're like, What's wrong with you? Anger shows up as attack or withdrawal. And really, that is those two sides of the same coin. Because if I'm withdrawing, if I'm pulling back, it's my version of attack. Or if I'm coming at you um, and attacking, I'm actually creating distance. Two sides of the same coin. Attack or withdrawal. And further, um, it, it is a cyclical thing because when I am angry... And I express that anger, or even you know that I am angry at you. Then guess what? What does it provoke in you? Your peacefulness, your kindness, your love, your generosity towards me. What does it provoke? More anger. And because you get mad, I'm going to respond. There is a cycle to it. Excuse me. And and, um, the the consequence here that Jesus describes, look back in verse 21. You've heard it said that it was uh, to those of old, don't murder. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Do you see that? That anger, because of the harm that, un- that it unleashes in the world, it puts us, angry people, in the same category as murderers. It puts us in the same category. It, it puts us... Uh, in the same way, it's liable to judgment. It is poisonous to the world. And you think about all the ways that you have seen anger show up in your life. And what has been the outcome of that? Difficulty, hardship, problems, relational brokenness, 
and on and on and on. Um, this is a good place to pause for just a second and put a little parentheses here because some people come back and they say stuff like, well, what about righteous anger? Um, and I, I don't want to punt here. I, I will say I'm going to try to do a little excursus next week on what righteous anger is and isn't. But, but the, can we just, if, it, if it's okay in here, to be honest, um, can we just be honest with one another and with ourselves and say, hey, most of the things that we experience are not, that's not righteous anger. It's not. The dashboard light comes on and Jesus didn't turn the light on. That's the truth. Um, uh, there, there is a kind of righteous anger that, that um, has to do with us caring about the things that God cares about. That's next week, though. I, most of the anger, the vast majority, I would say, of the anger that you and I experience, certainly the anger that Jesus is addressing here, is our everyday um, lives, lives that are uh, marked by the brokenness of this world and sin um, <clears throat> that, that catches us up. And this is the anger that he, um, that he is doing. When, when I am angry, um, it, is, it is my desire for the harm of somebody else. And in doing so, it categorizes me in the same way as a murderer. Um, because what happens is it strikes at the very heart of the other person's need of acceptance. And instead of love, instead of walking in to an embrace, they, they walk in uh, to my anger. So... Now that the light bulb has come on and the check engine is on, let, let's figure out where this comes from, okay? Let's figure out the source of this. The Bible has story after story after story, and this is the vast majority of the way that the Bible describes and, and uh, helps us understand anger. We'll look at one uh, here in just a minute. Um, but it has story after story. Now, there are some proverbs that deal with anger. That's true. Uh, but the the vast majority of the way that the Bible talks about it, um, anger is, is in story. And it describes for us three particular sources. Here we go. Number one, uh, the thwarted will. The source of anger, when the light bulb comes on, one of the, way, one of the things that we could trace back to is the thwarted will. It sounds a little something like this. You're not letting me do what I, uh, what I want to do. You're not letting me do what I want to do. Now, if you've got one, uh, a kiddo who's maybe about this tall, you know exactly what this feels like. So little one comes in and they've got a fork and they want to see what happens when they stick it in the electrical socket. And you're like, no, 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 don't do that. And they're like, but I want to. And then begins the battle royale. No, 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 you cannot. Give me that fork. And then all of a sudden, What? They are at peace and they say, thank you, mom, for, thank you, dad, for taking care of me. I appreciate you looking out for me. Thank you so much for not letting me play in the middle of the street during uh, the time when people come home, uh, you know, here at 515 or so. Thank you so much for watching over me. Is that what they say? No, it's like, yeah, and off they go, right? The thwarted will. Now that with a little bit of distance, that can be kind of cute depending upon how expressive they are in their face. Uh, it can be kind of cute. Um, when they're two, but what about at 22? Not so cute. What about at 42? You're not letting me do what I want to do. The second source uh, is unmet expectations. It sounds a little bit like this. You're not doing for me what I want you to do for me. You're not doing for me what I want uh, you to do for me. 
And so, again, with a little one, uh, it can be any number, <laughs> any number of things, but you know how this goes. They want their cereal, they want their whatever, and they have expectations of you as a parent, and they're perfectly fine with expressing their displeasure with you, their frustration with you, their anger with you, if you do not meet their expectations. And again, can be a little cute when they're small, but at 22 or at 42 or in um, intimate relationships like marriages, when unmet expectations are present, anger can build and resentment along with it. And, and it is uniquely poisonous in relationships when I'm holding on to expectations but not verbalizing them. I'm not actually expressing them. And so my expectations are not only unmet, but they are unexpressed. And so therefore now it is doubly unfair because one, that person is not responsible to meet my expectations. But secondly, they don't even know what my expectations are. You're not doing for me um, what I want you to do for me. And the third is what I term the wounded ego, the wounded ego. And again, with a little one, easy to see, easy to see. Because you come in, uh, you're hauling everything in from the car, right? You've got a, for your moms, a purse and a diaper bag and a, you know, who knows what all. Dads, you may be carrying your briefcase and three coats and who knows what else. Um, and you're loaded down and you walk in and the little one sees you. It's like, hey, hey, come pick me up. And so they sit there like this. And you think to yourself, I would love to pick you up. Let me set down the 50 extra pounds of stuff that I'm toting around, that half of which is yours, and I'll do so. But they don't want you to set the stuff down. They want you to do what? They want you to pick them up so often. And all of a sudden, you're not picking them up, and then what? You're not helping them feel the way that they want to feel in that moment. And so what happens? Out comes the face, the angry face. You're not, this is the way that the wounded ego sounds, you are not making me feel the way that I want to feel. You're not making me feel the way that I want to feel. And again, really cute at two. But at 22 and 42, and any number of other ages that we could pick, not so much. And, and most of the time, these three sources of anger, don't, as one maybe shows up first, but then the other two um, kind of get activated because one shows up. And so uh, what happens is in this operating system of our lives that we call our soul, um, you know, th this is the bug in that operating system and something begins to go haywire. It's one thing for all you computer folks out there, you can verify. It's one thing to have a, um, an app uh, that's not working right and has a bug. It's a whole different thing when it's a system, uh, a software bug. And this is where this, this is what's going on in our lives. The operating system of our, of our lives is called our soul. And, and because uh, there's a bug in there, man, there's lots of things that can go haywire. This is the place where anger, um, where anger comes from. And, and how, do, how, do, how does it show up? How does it express itself? Um, this is in the, app, uh, in the Bible app, I know, but if not, uh, if you're not using that and you want to just flip over to Jonah chapter four, let's show you a couple of things here from Jonah chapter four and ways that this shows up. The ways that the, the brokenness of the operating system uh, begins to um, express itself. Jonah chapter 4. So if you're not familiar with the book of Jonah, just quickly, Jonah's a prophet sent to a pagan city to tell them to repent because God's going to bring judgment. Um, he says, no thanks God, I'd rather just let you bring judgment on those guys. Um, so he runs away. 
Doesn't go very well for him. Uh, ends up in the belly of a fish. God ultimately spits him out on the uh, uh, dry land. He goes, preaches. Uh, they repent. He goes to sit down outside of the city. And what he really, really wants is to watch the destruction of Nineveh. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Like when I was back there, this is what I said was going to happen. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful who is slow to anger. Are you glad that God is slow to anger? And abounding, you're uh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God, I knew that if I came and preached, you're the kind of God who would have mercy on these people. And really, I want to see them bite the dust. Has anybody ever lashed out in anger? Because this is what Jonah did. Anybody ever blamed God for a situation? This is what Jonah did. Anybody ever said, God, I don't want you to be like that towards them. You can be like that towards me, slow to anger towards me. That's good. Slow to anger towards them, not so much. God, come on, God, do what I want. Lashed out, verse 3. Now, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Has anybody in anger said anything out loud that after you said it, you thought, boy, I wish I could pull that back? This is what happened to Jonah. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God's like, are you serious, Jonah? Lashed out, saying things he doesn't mean, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, set to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah is outside of the city, the city that he just uh, preached to. And he's saying, I'm going to wait and see if God will indeed bring disaster on them. I want the whole thing. I want the Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from heaven, lightning bolts, hailstones. I want it all. I want to see this thing burn. Anger has a way of taking joy in the harm of others. When there's a, when there's a bug like this in the operating system of our lives, this is one of the things that comes out. And the last little thing here, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. There it is again. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah again, do you uh, to do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Here's what the Lord said. <clears throat> you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night of Paris in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, they're spiritually clueless, or, hey, Jonah, how about the cattle? How about the cattle? In anger, you can lash out, certainly, at others or God. In anger, you say things you don't mean. In anger, um, excuse me, you, you want, wish for, take delight in even the harm of others, and you lose perspective completely. Jonah was madder about the plant than he was about 
the city. This is how this comes out of us. It's how it comes out of us. And listen, um, it goes deeper into us. And so I just, I want to point a couple of things out here uh, about anger. And it's why Jesus starts here. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And in the kind of anger that he's talking about here is not the dashboard light flashing, but the kind of anger that you and I embrace. Instead of, like Paul says, put these all aside, anger is at the front of that list. If we don't put it to the side, if we embrace it instead, there's a couple of things that happen. It, it begins to take root in us. And, and here's where it starts. It starts with, I, f- I feel this. And I don't mean like there's a light that comes on, but like, I, I'm feeling this. Yes, I'm feeling it. There is a permeating nature to anger. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. When we talk about feeling this, this is what we're after, feeling it. And like there, there's this permeating nature. And so I'll just give you an example from yesterday. We were doing a little traveling along the way. There's six people in the car. At some point, you have to take a potty break. Anybody? That's happened before? Maybe in some of your journeys over the holidays, you take a potty break. Uh, does anybody play the game of, I think this place is nice enough to stop and take a potty break? We do in our family. And so we found some place. This looks nice enough to stop. We pull in. Uh, I'm sitting with the car. <clears throat> and then we do the swap thing. And so uh, out they come. Once we get everybody back in the car, uh, my oldest says, either my mask really stunk or that place had a sewer backup. Because you go into a uh, gas station bathroom and sometimes it's not the most pleasant of smells. Yes. This was not the bathroom. This was open the door to the place and the whole place reeked of sewer. In fact, the bathroom had enough Glade plug-ins that it actually was the best smelling in the whole place. Like it, it, the whole place stunk. And here's the thing. Um, it, it wasn't, uh, the, the smell wasn't coming from the freezer section or from the snack section or back there behind the cashier. There was some point of origin, that is for sure, but it went everywhere. It started over here, whatever, wherever the sewer backup was, and then it just permeated the whole thing. This is what anger does. When we embrace it, this is what happens. There's a point of origin for sure. Somebody says something at work. Somebody doesn't do what they say they will do um, in this other relationship. Somebody, something happens here, and then we find ourselves in a completely different area about ready to rip somebody's head off. We, we have a moment um, in our nine to five, and then we come home and we're ready to kick the dog. We, we, ha- we have this, this thing happen over here in this key relationship, and then we're driving along, somebody cuts us off, and we act like we have the end of the world has come, and now it is my job to bring the end of the world upon this person who I think cut me off. Even though I have no relationship whatsoever, the key relationship over here where anger was sourced has now affected this other relationship with the driver in front of me. I make sure and wave and uh, say nice things to them and all of that stuff, right? Anger permeates all of our lives. And so we, we, we find that we're snappy at, with our kids, but it's not really our kids that got us going in the first place. It's something that happened way over here. We find that we're sarcastic with our spouse, distancing ourselves from the one who we love and are committed to. But it's not 
their issue is that this other thing over here happened. It just permeates the whole thing. The stench goes everywhere. And if we don't set it aside, we get past the level of I feel it, embrace it. We get past that level to the level of I need it. I need it. And the the I need it um, level sounds uh, something like this, that uh, anger is corrosive in nature. And so it creates this kind of reservoir in us that we always uh, want to be filled because we sure don't like to feel empty um, on the inside. And so... um, as it creates this reservoir, we have to feed the beast. We have, we have to begin to look for reasons to be mad. Over the past couple of years, just in our culture, this is one of the ways that you can describe the toxicity. The anger has created a, re- a reservoir, and that reservoir has to be filled, and so we need to look for places to be mad, reasons to be angry. And it, it goes to the level past that. Once we get past, I need it, it goes to the level of I enjoy it and I become an angry person. Anger is no longer just right underneath the surface. It is consistently popping up in our lives. And there are two things uh, about this. Number one, uh, I enjoy it like an addict enjoys that drug of choice, whatever it may be. In other words, they would say, I am only happy when I'm feeling angry. Or the second thing is, um, and this is where I think Jesus is helping us the most, is some would come along and say, I don't know who I would be without it. I do not know who I would be without it. And Jesus is offering a whole other kind of life. But here's the thing. Do you understand why? When you, when you picture it this way, do you understand why an external kind of goodness will not cut it? Do you understand why there is there has got to be something uh, uh, more authentic, um, and, and uh, it has got to be something that goes deeper inside of us? It has to be something that deals with the things that are going on at the level at which they're actually happening, not at the level at which they're presenting. This is why. This is why um, actions don't cut it. It is, it is why appearances don't get it done. You, you're not going to uh, be passive and deal with anger. You're not going to just meditate your way into peace here and, and be okay with anger. You have to have something different. And what is the difference? It is the righteousness of Jesus, the genuine goodness of God that he offers us. And he does so by coming and uh, living the life that we can never live. And he died the death that we deserve to die. He died in our place. And then he rose again to give victory to you and to me, to offer us a kind of life that is far different than the lives of everybody um, who, who is on their own. He offers us a kind of life that is in his kingdom, that can be transformed. And so this is why we say, if we're, if we're going to deal with anger and let Jesus go to work in us to deal with it, we have to pursue righteousness. That righteousness doesn't come by our actions by our appearances. It comes by putting our trust in Jesus. And so we're going to have a moment here just to ready ourselves for communion. We're going to have a moment where we let ourselves um, grasp the, the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. And so I want to pray. Lead us to pray. And then the The band's going to come back up and sing a song over us and kind of ready us, and then we'll take communion together. Would you join me right now?
And you can settle your heart here. You say the things that you need to say to God in this moment. Maybe it's confession. Maybe it's a plea for help. Maybe you know exactly where it has been setting, where anger has shown up in your life. You can source it. Maybe you need to take that to Jesus. The good news for everyone in here is no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're feeling, no matter how you're struggling, you can come to Jesus just like you are just as you are. And he'll help you. That's the good news. The power to change your life, to transform you is available to you today.